are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. We're going to do that again. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. What an odd week it has been. The April snowstorm grinding things down, raising a big question mark about what we'd be able to do on Good Friday. Thankfully, we were here on Friday. And then again last night. And now again this evening. The snow is again coming down, but it is at least promising to melt slowly. The arrival of a real spring is at least on the horizon. There's an alleluia to be said for that, I'd have to say. Yet in this story told by Luke, there aren't yet any alleluias. Recall for a moment what's happened. On the Thursday night, after sharing his meal with the disciples, Jesus has been arrested and dragged before what amounted to a mock trial at the temple. On Friday morning, he'd been taken before Pontius Pilate, the local Roman official, with an insistence that Jesus had breached Jewish law was a dangerous revolutionary figure and needed to be put to death by the Romans, something the Jerusalem officials themselves could not do. Pilate, of course, is not convinced. He doesn't see this as necessary at all. But in the end, he decides to move forward with the execution as a way of settling down these locals who seem on the verge of some sort of uprising. It is, quite frankly, a calculated bureaucratic move made by a Roman official quite notorious for his willingness to use state violence to settle any troubling matters. He did it again and again and again. Meanwhile, the disciples themselves are in hiding presumably in the same upper room where they had shared their final Passover meal with Jesus. They are aware that it is risky for them to be seen out in public, for surely that same mob mentality that had called for their own teacher's death would be turned against them as well. They've remained in hiding right through the whole of the Saturday the Sabbath day on which the markets were closed and people would all have needed to stay home. And they're still there on the Sunday morning. What's going through their minds? Are they waiting for an opportune time to just slip out of this city, return north to Galilee to try to resume some sort of normal life again? The dream's over. It's early in the morning, and the women, Luke says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. 
The women have gone from that hiding place out to the tomb where Jesus' body has been laid. They aren't the same kind of threat or danger as the men were perceived to be. They could slide by almost invisibly because of a relative statuslessness in their world. They wanted to go so that they could place the anointing spices on his broken body, a final gesture of their respect and their love for him before they have to go back to Galilee too. When they arrive, of course, they find that the stone has been rolled away. His body is gone. They're confused by this, rightly. And then right away there are two figures in dazzling clothes there with them, which utterly terrifies them. Why wouldn't that be terrifying? What's happened to our teacher's body? What's happening to us? And then those words from the two figures, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you. And as the gospel writers tell their stories, there are these times when Jesus did speak of his impending death and his approaching defeat of death. But what could that have meant to his followers? They were so convinced that his path was one of victory, even a revolutionary uprising against the Romans. They'd hear him speak in that strange way about dying, and unable to put the pieces all together, they probably just sort of stuffed it all away, not wanting to think about death, how that could possibly be part of this journey. Who wants death when your dream is of conquering the enemy and sitting at his right and left side in the fullness of his kingdom? Don't talk about death, Lord. And of course, there is that moment when Peter says that to him. Stop talking like that. Then the women remembered his words. That's what Luke tells us. They remember and they hurry off to tell the disciples back in the upper room. This changes everything. Or does it? For when they arrived, quote, these words seemed to the disciples an idle tale, and they did not believe them. An idle tale. Yet who can blame those disciples who had left everything to follow Jesus, only to have it end in this horrific manner? Just keep packing your things, John. We'll just wait until the right moment and slip away from this God-forsaken city. The women have lost their minds. Back to safety we should go. Back home to the familiar of our fishing boats and our families. The dream is over, and the women just aren't yet prepared to face that fact. But, Luke says, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Ah, Peter... Filled with guilt and remorse for having fled into the night on the night of his arrest with the rest of them, even though he promised he would never abandon his great friend and teacher. Three times late that night, Peter had denied even knowing him. 
three times, one after another. And he'd spent the last two days with his stomach in a knot, his mind and his heart crushed by guilt. What is it that you're saying, Mary? The tomb's empty. My God, what can that possibly mean? And so while the others just dismissed the words of the women as an idle tale, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home amazed at what had happened. Amazed, yes, absolutely, but there are still no alleluias. Peter has not seen him yet. And for all he knows, maybe the Romans have taken the body so that the tomb doesn't become some sort of a memorial shrine to a revolutionary. The women, though, the women talk of these two shining figures, and they seem so very, very sure. But can the voices of women be trusted? And here, the scholar David Jeffrey comments, quote, One powerful theme to emerge in Luke's gospel is this. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He does not conform to our social hierarchies and sorry prejudices. It is the women followers who are the first witnesses to the resurrection, or or at least to an empty tomb. In that world... It was the men who were thought to hold the important ideas, information, and perspectives, while the women had other roles, serving roles, parenting roles, subservient roles. But that had never held much weight for Jesus. Sure, his circle of disciples were all men, which was very much in keeping with the times, But there were always women close by, including, of course, Mary Magdalene. And then there's also Mary and Martha. And in the stories in which those two women appear, we see Martha taking on a more traditional women's role, while Mary, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, absorbing his teaching like one of the men. When Martha protests, she's not holding up her side. She's not carrying her weight. Jesus says very clearly and very gently, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. It's an astonishing word to come from the teacher. Yet time and again we will see how he is unafraid to draw women close, to teach them and take them seriously as people, even a Samaritan woman who he meets at a well in John's account. He does not conform to our social hierarchies and sorry prejudices. Perhaps there is a powerful unspoken alleluia in that truth, It's something I believe that the church needs to keep plainly in view when we think about the kind of habits, practices, and customs that are cultivated in human societies, including our own. 
that the social hierarchies and social prejudices easily get built into cultures and they leave some flourishing while others get ground down and are left voiceless. We must pay attention to the story of the resurrection and how it is not the men, the official disciples, who are there first, but rather those women who the men still saw as tellers of idle tales. And they aren't. And he knew it. Jesus knew it. So no, the characters in these stories are not yet proclaiming alleluias. But the women and Peter are getting closer. And in the coming few Sundays, we'll read other stories, stories of the encounters that might just release that grand word, Alleluia, literally, praise God. And knowing these stories are coming tonight, tonight we can shout it out yet again. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.